And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What a blessing. And I'm telling you again, I love this choir. I love Christ honoring music. I love when it's sung by those who believe what they sing. Brother Evan, stop right there. This man right here, the whole time they were singing, I was thinking, this is the house that Brother Evan built. Amen. <laughs> now you can be seated. I'm thankful for his decades, actually, of service here and his son taking the baton. And I'm grateful to you, Brother Evan. God bless you for all the many, many years of service here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, one of the greatest hymns ever written about our Savior's birth was first published in 1739 by Charles Wesley. His good friend, George Whitfield, edited the text in 1758. And of course, the music was composed by Felix Mendelssohn, specifically for the 400th anniversary of the Gutenberg Press. Hark the herald angels sing. It is a thoroughly biblical theological hymn, originally, by the way, with five verses. In 1946, Frank Capra used that hymn in his film, It's a Wonderful Life. First, with George Bailey's little girl, Janie, constantly practicing the hymn on the piano while he was in the midst of a nervous breakdown. And finally, at the end, when the entire town gathers at his house in victory and they just all break out in the chorus of that hymn, is remained one of the most watched scenes in all of cinematic history, but not nearly as watched as the December the 7th, December 9th, 1965 CBS special called A Charlie Brown Christmas. I was seven years of age when that show premiered, and for the past 57 years, more people have watched that show than any other special in television history. And sure enough, it's at the very end that Linus, clutching his security blanket, quotes Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. You may have missed it, but right when he says, and the angel said unto him, fear not, when he says fear not, he drops the security blanket at that moment, which later he places at the bottom of the tree, and the entire cast sings, hark the herald angels sing. I mention these two references to Wesley's hymn because of something that he wrote in the very first line. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. A few moments ago, Skyler sang, as Rick played on the guitar, about the word reconciled. Now wait a minute. Reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. I wonder this morning if you understand, if you appreciate the deep meaning and all of the ramifications of that one line, because I can assure you of this. Most of the people at Bedford Falls, New York, did not fully understand what they were singing that night. Nor, by the way, do the executives of CBS who did not want, by the way, Luke chapter 2 read, nor the hymn included in Charlie Brown. In fact, just the word reconciled, much less sinners, goes against all of the modern notions today of religion and humanism. Which brings us this morning to a single text of Scripture. One verse in the New Testament that uses the word reconciled in the context 
of a chapter with that very theme. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the last verse of a critical chapter on the subject of reconciliation. The last verse of 18 says this, uses the word reconciliation. The last word of verse 19 is the word reconciliation. The last three words of verse 20 say reconciled to God. In fact, at the beginning of verse 18, it says, reconciled us to himself. Reconciliation is a theme that every single one of us here today or watching live where you are should absolutely know, understand, and glory in. Why? Because mankind at his birth is not in fellowship. When you were born and all since that time, you have not been in fellowship or harmony with God. The Bible says that we are born alienated from our Creator because of sin. And of course, every man-made religion in the world tries to remedy this problem with its own version of self-righteousness or good deeds. Man somehow thinks that he can be reconciled to God by covering his sin with human effort or self-sacrifice. Our son, Andy, worked at a restaurant when he was in high school. And he came home one day and he said, Dad, you're not going to believe what I saw. One of the workers there was in the men's room wiping down everything in the men's room with this large wet towel. The walls the sinks, the stalls, and everything else. The worst part, however, he said, is that when when Andy followed him out of the restroom, he just kept using the same nasty towel to wipe down the dining room tables and the chairs and the counters. For $5, I'll tell you which restaurant after church, all right? (laughs) Andy works here now for me, as you know, and someone said that he's like Santa's elf. He does all the work, and a fat guy in a suit gets all the credit. Amen? (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Let me ask you this question. Why do sinners think that they can wipe away or cover their iniquity with what Isaiah 64.6 calls filthy rags? All our righteousnesses, God says through Isaiah the prophet, are as filthy rags. Man, because of sin, is lost, alienated, separated from the God of heaven. So that the single greatest need in man's life is, yes, reconciliation. And of course, the single greatest question about this is how? How? How do you reconcile a holy God, a perfect God, with unholy man? Well, that brings us again to this text that you see behind me and in your Bibles. This marvelous final verse of 2 Corinthians 5, three things, very briefly, I want you to consider. The first one you'll notice, number one, is the word he. You'll notice verse 21 says, for he hath made. In other words, somebody, somebody, this text says, made something happen. Somebody took the initiative and then therefore allowed for man's reconciliation. And if you're wondering who the somebody is, who the he is in verse 21, all you have to do is notice that the first word of the verse is of the verse is the word for, telling us that the identity of the he, the antecedent, 
is the last word of the previous verse, verse 20, which is God. Verse 20 says this, be reconciled to God for he hath made. In other words, reconciliation with God isn't something that man could ever initiate or devise or formulate. All of man's attempts, all of our attempts at religion, all they really do is take the dirty rags of our own sin and wipe the table of our heart that's already defiled. Which is precisely why the prophet declared in the Old Testament, salvation is of the Lord. He made reconciliation possible. He made forgiveness available. He made eternal life in heaven obtainable so that everything about true salvation starts with God. It is His plan. He designed it. He activated it. He devised it. He initiated it. He applied it. So that again, folks, there is nothing that man can do to produce somehow reconciliation with the Holy God. The Bible says He first loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave. You know what's interesting? In Hemingway's short story called The Capital of the World, he writes about a teenage boy named Paco set in Spain. Paco was the most common name for boys in Spain in those days, and this Paco, he wanted to be a matador. And mostly he wanted to get away from his father's control, so he ran away from home. The father, eager to reconcile with his son, traveled to Madrid many months later. He placed an ad in the local newspaper with a simple phrase, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid news office tomorrow at noon, all is forgiven. I love you. And Hemingway wrote the next day at noon in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, <laughs> all seeking forgiveness. So many sons waiting for a father's reconciliation. Can I tell you something? When it comes to the father who sent his son, he's the one who's waiting. He's waiting on some of you in this room. He has already sent the message out with your name on it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, put your name there, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize that the entire revelation of God's Word is a dear Paco of God's plan of reconciliation. Hebrews 2.10 says, He became Him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, and bringing many sons, many daughters to glory. Hail, the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. It brings us to the second thing in the text. The second thing after the word He, you'll notice, is the word Him. For he hath made him. Now, folks, think about this very carefully. The word him in this text is obviously in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why verse 18 says that the whole work of reconciliation goes completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Verse 18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So now we know who the hymn refers to. I guess the really critical thing then about Christ is what it says in verse 21, that God made him to be. Look at it. Verse 21, for he hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin. By the way, you understand that God doesn't have to make us to be sin. That's something we are born with. But notice what verse 21 says about our Lord. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Knew no sin? Folks, it had to be that way. Let me ask you a question. Who do you know that is sinless? Your husband? LOL. R-O-F-L-O-L-O-L-O-L. Who do you know that's never told a lie? Folks on Twitter? Nobody in the history of man could ever say what Jesus said to a group of priests in John 8, 46. Which of you convinces, convicts me of sin? 1 John 3, 5, he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him was no sin. Hebrews 4, 15, and all points, Jesus was tempted like as we are yet without sin. You see, folks, the hymn in verse 21 isn't merely Jesus a rabbi or a prophet or a teacher or a miracle worker. It is Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. He is the spotless lamb, without spot, without blemish, so that when he died, 1 Peter 3.18 says, he suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. That's you and me. I asked a question earlier. Who do you know that's perfect and without sin? Well, folks, I just gave the testimony of men who scrutinized Christ, who watched him every day for years, John and Peter, even his own brothers and James, they knew him and they said that he was sinless. More importantly, there's the testimony of God the Father who said at Jesus' baptism and the transfiguration, this is my beloved son, hear ye him, in whom well pleased. And Jesus' own testimony when he said, I and my Father are one. I never met anyone ever who was perfect and without sin. Until one day, I walked into a little church in Hope Mills, North Carolina in 1970. And the choir was singing a song by P.P. Bliss that said, Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God, as He, full atonement, can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Spotless, He, but not we. Nobody is spotless before a holy God. There is none righteous, the Bible says, perfect. No, not one. Only Christ knew no sin. And by the way, think about this. Do you realize that that in itself doesn't do a thing for us? Do you know that it doesn't help us to know that God came to earth and became a man and lived a sinless life? It does not bring man into reconciliation with God. If anything, it only condemns man even more. Except... It's not what the text says. Verse 21, look at it again. It says, For he hath made him to be sin 
for us. Now, wait a minute. When the Bible says that God made Jesus sin for us, it doesn't mean that Jesus committed sin. He never committed a single sin. What it does mean is that on the cross, as He hung there, on that cross, He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to take upon Himself and to Himself all of your sin. All of my sin. All of that thief's sin that was hanging on the cross next to Him. All of the sins of all those prisoners that Chris spoke to this morning. Every evil, every darkness, every transgression, every blasphemy, every iniquity. Isaiah, the prophet said, was laid on him. So much so that Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's crying for reconciliation. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. You see, dear friends, Jesus wasn't a sinner, but He was made sin. He was made sin and specifically so that He could endure the full fury of God's wrath. How does that happen? How did that all happen at Calvary so long ago? You know, honestly, I don't know. I don't know how God created everything with His spoken word, but I do see the results of it. I don't know exactly how he imputed all of our sins onto his son. But I know he planned to do it even before the foundation of the world. And nothing is too hard for the Lord. But wait a minute. That's not all, folks. It's kind of like the, the, the th- third wise man. Do you know what he said after his friends already presented their gold and their frankincense? He said, but wait, there's myrrh. Uh, And there is myrrh. There's the word he. There's the word him. The third thing you notice is there's the word we. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You may notice in that verse the word made. See that? Because it's a reminder the same word is used at the beginning of the text. So that in the same way that God made Christ to be sin, He also made us to be righteous. Righteous, but only by the last two words of the verse. Righteous in Him, in Jesus. If you're in Christ, then God sees you as righteous. So that note this carefully. There's a miracle here. There is a miracle of reconciliation. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. I don't know, Pastor Blaylock, I just, you know, I'll get there on my own. I've already decided in 2023 to turn over a new leaf. Okay, here's a question. What are you going to do with all the old leaves? All those years of leaves, you're going to rake them up? Put them in a pile and hide them before a holy God when you die and face Him? What are you going to do about the next leaf that falls in 2023? 
No, you need God's reconciliation now. You need salvation and forgiveness to be reconciled to the God of glory. And then the miracle of verse 17 will happen to you. It says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and all things, behold, are become new. Jesus called it the new birth by declaring to a rabbi, a Pharisee, a man who had more good works than you and I, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How about you this morning? Have you been reconciled to God, the Creator, your Father, the Father? Have you? Or are you, as the Bible says, as Paul said, still alienated, alienated by your sin? I can tell you this. The dear Paco has gone out to you with your name on it. He will forgive you. He will be reconciled to you, but only through his son. No good works will reconcile you to God. No church membership. We're going to baptize in a few moments. No baptism. There's no sacrament. There's nothing you can do to reconcile your sinful self with a holy God. What you can do is put your faith in God's son, Jesus Christ, who died, who was made sin on your behalf. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. We're going to pray in a moment, but before we do, and we'll have a, a time of invitation, a couple verses. I want to give everybody in this room and everybody who's watching by live stream the opportunity to make a decision for the Lord. You know, you're not here today by accident. Not a chance. I didn't walk into that church in North Carolina at the age of 12 after riding a bus to it by accident. I know that now. You're here because God wanted you to hear his invitation to you. That there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why? Because he's the only one who died for you, who was sinless, who could die for your sins. I wonder who would say this morning, Pastor Blaylock, I'm a Christian, but I needed this message today. You know, it's an amazing thing. The very next verse is the first verse of chapter 6. It says, for we as workers together with him. What a great thing. He saves you to serve. Pastor Blalock, I'm saved today. As a Christian, I've been born again, using the Bible term, but I needed this reminder. And with my head, with heads bowed and eyes closed all through the building, you say, Pastor, God has spoken to me about something. No one's looking. It's between you and the Lord. Pastor Blalock, I'm saved, but I needed this reminder today. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands up where you are? God bless you. Praise the Lord for all of you. Many, many, dozens, scores. In a group this size, there would be many. I've often stated that Jesus had 12 followers and one of those was a traitor and never a true believer, it said. Using that metric alone, there would be many in this room. Not just traitors, just unbelievers. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today and I'm not sure that I'm reconciled. I'm not sure that my name is written in heaven, but I'd like to be sure. And I can sense, I can tell that something is speaking to my heart about this. That I'm convicted in my heart. I'm not going to come to you, I'm not going to embarrass you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but I do want to pray for you. Pastor Blake, that's me. I'm not sure that I'm saved, born again as a child of God, but I'd like to be. With heads bowed, eyes closed, who would say that? Would you just lift your hand? 
really high till we see it. God bless you, and God bless you, and God bless you, and you. Some of you raising your hand right now, I've prayed personally for in the past. This is wonderful. I'm not sure today, but I'd like to be sure. Anyone else? Raise your hand really high. God bless you. Back there, yes, yes. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation, as we always do every Sunday here. And if God has spoken to your heart, I hope you obey his voice, whatever he's speaking to you about. But I want to say this. If you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, the Bible's crystal, crystal clear. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all sin. That means we're short of God's glory, God's perfection, his standard. But it says the wages of that sin is death. That's why we're dying. Everybody's dying because everybody has sinned. It's that simple. The wages of sin is death. It's not just talking about your body dying. It's talking about your soul dying forever. But, the rest of the verse, but the gift of God is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. Right there in your pew, as you're seated there. Many of you raise your hands. Right there where you are, you could pray, Father, I want to be reconciled. Pray and ask Christ, pray a prayer or something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And right now, as a sinner in need of salvation, as best as I can, I trust in you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart and save me from my sins. Pray that prayer in your heart. We're going to stand a moment and sing. And when we do, Brother Chris is at the front. If you want to speak with someone, the altar's here. We would love to take the scriptures, the Bible, and show you more. If you prayed that prayer, I know some of you did. You want to find out if you prayed it with conviction from your heart, this would be the time. Come and let someone know. Father in heaven, bless this time of invitation. Thank you, Lord, for so many people raising their hands and asking for prayer. And others, Lord, I could see praying. I just ask, Father, that you will bring fruit that remains by the miracle of the new birth. Thank you that being reconciled with God, we together as workers with him now as your people, may we carry it on for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.